and wave at him. Devin's strong. His body never cracks or pops. He'd be glad to walk with you guys. And so, um, so right now, uh, it is the time in our service where you hear a story of faith from someone other than me or one of our elders. Um, today, uh, Donna Dautrick is with us. Donna's husband is Pastor Steve, and so pray for her extra. And um, <laughs> pray for her extra. But um, one of the things that we do from time to time, and we're going to be doing more the next couple of weeks, is it about this spot in the sermon? We just had a service. We have one of you come forward, and, and I ask a couple of questions, and they're usually the same questions every week. So, how did you begin to know about God, and how did God move in your life to bring you to salvation? That's question number one, and I hope all of you have some kind of a story about that. And, and question number two, what is God doing in your life now that you'd like to share with all of us? And, and often out of that question then comes, how can we pray for you? But that's what, we're, that's what we're working at, and so today I've invited Donna to come and share, and so she's going to share with us, and um, which side would you like me on? That one. There we go. All right. Well, that... Walking up here is a story in itself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Thank you. You're welcome. And so, Donna, tell me, how did you've been walking with the Lord for a long time? Um, sixty years. Sixty years. Sixty years. Very good. And so, none of your body cracks or pops when you stand no. up, does it? Nothing <laughs> no. breaks either. Nothing breaks either. <laughs> What, um, what can you tell us about how God began to work in your life and, and kind of get your attention about him? Well, I was about five years old mm -hmm. when I realized that, guess what, I'm a sinner and I needed a savior. Mm. And um, I was raised in a family that believed in Jesus and we went to church every week and sometimes more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember accepting Jesus on the steps going into the upstairs floor of my house with my mom there. And um, yeah, I knew I needed a savior because guess what? I did bad things. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway. But, but even as a, so a kid growing up in church, I mean, you grew up in a, in a faithful home. Um, but it's really interesting for me to hear you say now, you can remember even where you were and who was with you when you were five years old Absolutely. and God kind of got your attention. Absolutely. Right? How many of you can remember something like that, right? This is why it's good to hear each other's stories. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Donna. Yeah. And uh, I grew up in a church, uh, an evangelical, fundamental, independent, independent Baptist church. Evangelical, fundamental, independent Baptist. That's a lot of... Mm -hmm. That's a lot of descriptions. That's a lot of descriptions. Well, how long are we going to have to sit here today to get to the bottom of this story? <laughs> well, you're, you didn't prepare a very long sermon, did you? No, I, I have no idea what I'm going to right. say. <laughs> so, which basically, if you don't know, that means it was legalistic. And I knew a lot about God, but I also knew that God was someone who was out to maybe, I don't know... He was mad at me. Oh, so, so you kind of grew up, one of the attitudes that, that was around was that God is mad at you, and so you better act right. Exactly. Get in shape so that God's not mad at you. Yeah, because there's this whole list. That's that legalism. Follow the rule. There's Follow the this law. whole list of things that you don't do. Yeah. You know, Christians don't do this. But what about the other side? The other side of what Christians do do. 
you know. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time in life, um, probably into my 30s, to realize that God's got a grace. Um, and he loves us. Mm-hmm. And he's not up there, you know, acting as judge and jury. Not just waiting to strike no, us down. No, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. And, and not just waiting to see us fail. But he wants us to succeed. And he loves us so much that he's just waiting. He's waiting for us to come to him no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that was a big, big lesson. Um, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so God's a God of grace and a God of love. And I think one of the first books that I read that really influenced me was Chuck Swindoll's The Grace Awakening. Mm. Um, Just looking at God from a different angle and not as someone who's out to get me or is is holding me down and holding me back from different things, but he's there to help me succeed Mm -hmm. and help me become more like him without this list of things that I shouldn't do Mm. and can't do. But guess what? I can do a whole lot of things, and there's no problem with that. So you had, you had kind of a, you've been around church your whole life. Oh, yeah. You had a big experience of salvation when you were five, mm-hmm. and then in, in your early adulthood, 20s and into your 30s, kind of an awakening, uh, a, a new experience of more of God, right. uh, of his grace yes. and love. So fast forward, kind of coming up to today, what is What's your story right now? What is God working? At? God's been moving. What's God moving right now, Donna? Um, well, as most of you know, I broke my foot seven weeks ago. Seven weeks. Seven weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the, the lesson that God keeps bringing back to me is that he's in control. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have a saying I use a lot. And I'm from New Jersey, so I'm, I'm, I'm rather blunt. But <laughs> <laughs> what? I know. Everything's kind of short and compact with me. Um, but it is what it is. Right. And that sounds sometimes pretty, mm, I don't know, sharp. But it is. There's a verse in, and I bring these notes with me, not because I'm taking over for Jesse, but because uh, my fibromyalgia brain sometimes uh, just goes blank, and I need reminders. But there's a verse in, um, let me put them in the right order. That'd be better. It is me. helpful. It I is, found. Have yes. you found that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, 1 Timothy 5.16, there's a version of that verse that says, God is the blessed controller of all things. All things. Did I consider that seven weeks ago, I would take a step out of my garage door and break my ankle? Not at all. It wasn't even on my mind. You know, people are like, well, how did it happen? Well, it was it's an accident. It's nothing I considered or planned or... But guess what? God knew. And I can take that, and I can, as they say, take it to the bank. Mm-hmm. Because he's in control, he knows what he's doing, and I can rest in that. And the pain, the uncomfortableness, all the things that going with wearing a boot for six weeks and now wearing a brace for another four, I can handle. Because God is the blessed controller of all things. And he cares about me. He just didn't know this was going to happen. 
but he cares about me in the midst of it. And there's other people that care about me. And, you know, we, sometimes we think, we tend to think that the world isn't going to go on without us. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> it does. I spent many days in my recliner with my foot propped up. And the world still goes on. And God moves and God does his thing without us. And it's okay. Because he doesn't need me. He doesn't need me. He uses me in spite of myself. But he doesn't need me. And he's got everything taken care of. And he cares about me. And he provides for me in the midst of whatever's going on. So God is the blessed controller of all things. We can, we can narrow that down into one thought that says God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. God is sovereign. And he's, he's going to do... He's in control. He, he knows he's got this. And he's going to do what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you're, you get to be here in the front. You've got your moment with a microphone. I do. What the... Uh, what else has God put on your heart? Anything else that, that we ought to be thinking about along with you or oh, praying with you about? Absolutely. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got? Well, um, when I was with Steve when they first interviewed uh, him for this position, and I was asked, what are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. Some of you there might remember uh, what, I, what I said was I was passionate about women. I have been passionate about women for many years. And most recently, I've become, well, not most recently, but I've become and started to put into action my passion towards women in this church. Mm -hmm. And um, my passion is to see that we continue to become more like Christ and engaged with each other. Uh, most recently, <clears throat> excuse me, I've proposed to the elders that I be allowed to f begin a formal women's ministry here at Waterway. Mm -hmm. um, the event you have seen listed in your bulletin for the last few weeks, and it's raised some questions like, what is going on? What's going on? That's good. Oh, the December 2nd. The December 2nd. Yeah, yeah. Yes. December 2nd at 7, at 7 p.m. It says something about a women's event, right? And some of you have said, well, what is this? Well, that's the official kickoff for our women's ministry. Um, one of the things I've, I've talked to a lot of women over the last year, and one of the words that keeps coming up is connection. I don't feel like I'm connected with other women in the church. I, I, I might be in a small group, and I know those women, but I don't get a chance to spend any time with other women. December 2nd, 7 p.m. This is your chance. Um, we're going to um, get together. We're going to have some food. We're going to sit and talk. We're going to have some music, some holiday music. We're going to um, be looking for some of your insights into what you'd like to see included in your women's ministry. So this is, this is kind of a kickoff. 
it's not as if there's 94 things planned for the next three years. This is kind of a kickoff to say, let's get together and yes, sort of figure out together what this looks like, how we can be um, women focused on Christ together. Right. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. I think as I've talked to Donna about this before, right? right. This isn't news to me, but that's, right. that's kind of how, how I've heard you thinking about mm-hmm. things. And, and you and some others. Right. This is not just the Donna show, right? There are... There are Oh yeah! Right, right. right. There, no, are, I, there are others who uh, <laughs> who are part of this, even though you're the one that's that's right, right now talking about it. Yes. Yeah. So we're, you know, I'm looking to get women who, you know, we were at Media Mennonite, and we were all shoved in that little building. I, I, we've been here what almost almost, almost four years. We moved in and we moved here in January of 2020, right? Okay. So it'll soon so be three years. Three years. years. Yeah, yeah. And so Steve and I have been here four years. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember a women's event in the entire time I've been here. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what? It's time. It's time for women to get together. And I don't know what God has planned for us, you know, coming up. But I'd like to see us begin getting together again. um, So we can just sit and talk as women, share, learn from each other, um, intergenerational um, you know, being able to help help each other along the way. There's nothing like women helping other women, mm-hmm. and that's my desire for this for our group. Um, couple things. Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm talk to them. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're going to interrupt me again or not. Well, we'll see. I don't know I either. Know. I know. Um, this is going to be a ticketed event. Okay, free tickets, but to help us plan, we would like to know how many people are coming. So after the service, out to the right of the doors, we will have a table there. Liz Oberholzer and I will be there. There will be a table, and you can pick up your tickets. If you're able to come, get a ticket. That way we can plan for who's going to be there, and we don't have too much food or not enough food or things like that. Um, and if you would like to help the fellowship committee by preparing some delectable treat that you just want to share with us, you can sign up to do that as well. Okay, so who's invited? Okay, women from Waterway, ages 18 through 99. Okay? There's a 100-year-old lady in the back very offended right now. I know. I know. Okay. I know. She'll call me, too, or, or email me, right? Um, this is not an open event. This is not, oh, I'm going to bring my friends. This is for us, okay? Because we're going to do some planning. We're going to do some talking. We're going to have some fun. So this is just for us, all right? Mm -hmm. I I know that sounds weird, but this is our time. So if you would like a ticket, just turn right outside the main doors, and Liz and I will be there with tickets after the service. Very good. Okay. Hope to see you. Anything else while we're sitting here? Last chance uh, for now. Jesse's got a great sermon plan for Ooh, you. Right. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. All right. Thank you, Donna. And hey, folks, as, um, as you're, you're helping me down the steps. As, as I'm helping Donna down the steps, you may, be, um, you may be sitting there thinking, you know, God's been doing something in my life lately that, um, that I feel like I need to talk about. I know for a lot of you saying that you want to talk about it, is not really part of your vocabulary or thinking right now. 
but maybe you're thinking there's something that you need to talk about or that you ought to share about or that other people ought to hear about, hey, talk to me, okay? I would love to hear your story and and ask you questions and, and see what God's up to because whether you are aware of it or not, God is at work in all of our lives. And I think um, it's easy because, as Reuben said, we are busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. There are a lot of moving pieces in most of our lives. It's easy for us to miss each other and miss each other's stories. And, and, then, and then we're blown away when we hear each other's stories and say, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to him and I can hear her. This is just really good stuff for us to do together. I am prepared with a sermon. I'm ready to talk. And if you want me to every week for the next whoever knows how long, I'll stand up here and I'll tell you what I'm thinking and what I'm hearing and what I'm living through. But why would we do that? We are a congregation of hundreds of people. Let's hear all these stories. Okay? That's what we're up to. So thank you much. I am going to transition though now. It is, it is time um, for a sermon. Last week uh, we got back into the book of Mark and we're going to finish up here in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've been studying through the book of Mark since January of this year and, and so we've been working through it. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. So I'm going to invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. As Reuben said earlier, some of the chairs in front of you uh, have Bibles in them. There are some brown Bibles. Um, some of you, uh, you'll notice that some of the brown books are hymnals. That's because we we use those from time to time. And if you don't have access to a Bible or hymnal, go ahead, open up your Bible on your phone, or if you've got a person beside you, it's okay if you sit beside them to share their Bible. Um, but we're going to look at Mark chapter 14, 1 to 11, and we're getting to this spot. What, what we're going to be reading about happened in the last, certainly in the last two weeks of Jesus' life here on earth, and then a lot of these things just a few days before Jesus was hung on the cross and then died and then rose from the grave. Spoiler alert, that's where we're headed. But Mark chapter 14, here is what Mark wrote. And I'm going to remind you, Mark's gospel, it is the shortest of the four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All four of those men wrote down their account of the things that happened while Jesus was living here on earth. Mark's is the shortest. Mark's has the least amount of detail to it. The other guys, Matthew and Luke and John, all kind of go into some bunny trails. Mark just kind of gives it relatively uh, bluntly. It's the New Jersey version of the gospel, perhaps. Um, but he gives it kind of bluntly. And in Mark's gospel, there is this continuing sense of urgency. There's this sense of movement. As you read through it, you can kind of get this feeling that, that Mark is re- moving us in this story to the story and life of Jesus Christ and these things that are happening. There's an urgency that says, let's move on this. So here's what it says, Mark 14, starting in verse 1. The Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. These were massive Jewish holidays at the time, still are. But this is a time where Jesus and his disciples, they were, they were Jewish folks, they were in the midst of this time of celebration, and they were near the town, city of Jerusalem, which would have blown up. Uh, normally, there's about 50,000 people that live in Jerusalem. Here at the time of the Passover, there's several hundred thousand, because people are all coming to the temple, coming to the city. Passover festival and other bread, two days away. Chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So before it even happened, there are religious leaders who want to kill Jesus. He's causing a ruckus. Things are out of their control, and things are not moving the way they think they ought to. Jesus is not acting the way they think they ought to, and they're convinced that he has been, that he has been committing blasphemy by saying that he is the Son of God. And, and of course, according to the Old Testament, if you are a blasphemer, you should die. And so this is some of the context of what's happening here. There are people scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. 
Verse two, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Because at this point, Jesus has been ministering for about three years, very publicly, very much out in the open. You can read Mark 1 through 12 to see all that stuff. Jesus has been ministering. Crowds have been following him. People have been seeing him do healings. They've been seeing him bring people back to life. They've been seeing Jesus and hearing his teaching and thinking, this guy has authority that nobody else has. Lots of people were following him, but you can see there are many people who, who rejected that whole thing and are trying to kill him. Verse 3, while Jesus was in Bethany, there are many who think that this is kind of remembering back to a couple days ago, there's a, a parallel passage. If you want to put your, your thumb and finger in your Bible, in John chapter 12, John recounts the same event here. But just as if you were to ask me, hey, what happened in the Phillies game last night? And then as you were to go ask Jaden, hey, Jaden, tell me about the Phillies game last night. And then if I were to ask Kate, Kate, write down a page about what happened in the Phillies game last night. Jaden and Kate and I would all write down what happened in the Phillies game. We might give you the same final score, but there are probably different things that we're going to remember. Jaden's going to remember this part of it. And I'm going to spend three pages writing about that catcher who leaned in like this for that other part of it. And Kate's going to say, I don't care about the Phillies. <laughs> but in the third inning, in the, in the time that the third inning was, I had this really great conversation with my friend, and here's what we talked about. And all those things are true, and all those things come out of the story. What happened during the Phillies game? Mark tells his story of, of how things went, and John, in John chapter 12, tells his story about how things went, and they line up, but you'll see there are different details that come out. But here's what Mark said. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, as we look at Mark 14, 1 to 11, and as you look at John 12, if you're curious about that, you'll see these two stories. John brings out a few additional details. John tells us that although Simon is hosting, recorded in Mark, John says that Lazarus is there. We see that in John 12. And we see that Lazarus' sister, Martha, is serving the meal because, of course, and if you compare some of the other Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, it tells us about this Lazarus and this Mary and Martha. Lazarus is the one who was dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. He's one of Jesus' friends. Jesus knew him well. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, there's a story about Martha being very dutiful in how she prepared the house while Jesus was visiting. And, and Mary was not paying so much attention to the work and to the hospitality. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha got mad, said, Jesus, aren't you going to tell her to help me? Jesus says, no, she's paying attention to me. This is a good thing. Martha, relax. Okay? So we know by putting together Mark, 12 and John, or Mark 14 and John 12 that Jesus is now at the home of Simon the leper. Lazarus is there. It's not just the 12 disciples. Lazarus is there. Martha is serving. And while Mark doesn't name the lady, he's telling a quick story. He's, he's trying to move us towards the resurrection. John gives us the detail and says that this woman who comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, her name is Mary. Now, this alabaster jar of perfume, it's kind of like a single-serve pack. At least she used it that way. She broke this open and she poured all of it on Jesus, not just a drop, not just a bit, not just, I, I guess I'll break it. Oh, it's broken. I'll pour out some on Jesus and I'll put the rest of my little Tupperware bottle and save that for later. No, she gave it all to Jesus. And Mary, when she broke this jar, we note that this 
jar of very expensive perfume was made of pure nard, and for most of us, that doesn't mean very much. But here's a little background just in case you're interested. The alabaster bar jar, this alabaster part, that was a material that was found in Egypt. They're right now in Israel. But the, the jar itself would have been made in Egypt. It was filled with pure nard, which was a product of India. How many of you have noticed these days that getting products from around the world is sometimes a challenge? Have any of you noticed in the last couple of years that supply lines can be, can be mucked up from Egypt to Israel to China to America? You, you've seen this, right? Have you tried to buy a vehicle? Have you tried to buy a tractor? Have you tried to buy a microchip? I haven't tried to buy any of those things, but I know what's going on. Here this woman has a jar that came from Egypt filled with nard that was from India. And it says that it was pure nard. This was an expensive bottle of perfume. Mark says she poured it on his head. John says she also poured it on his feet and used her hair to wipe it. This woman gives this whole jar, which would have probably been 8 to 12 ounces of perfume, She's just putting it all over Jesus. It says in verse 4 of Mark chapter 14 that some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. Indignant. It's another one of those words that comes up from time to time in the NIV translation of the Bible. It can mean, uh, you, you can put all kinds of, uh, of colorful descriptions on that, but indignant often has an eye roll and it often has something like, can you believe it? And indignant often kind of then gets into a thing of, I would never do that. And, and, it, and if you're really indignant, it could go to the, to the point of, how dare they? There are people who were indignant, and, and they didn't just keep it to themselves. They said it to one another. Now, you've been at dinner parties before, right? You've been sitting around the table with other people. How easy is it for two people at that end of the table to say something that you don't hear? That's hard to do. How many of you have ever heard mom say something that you wish you didn't hear and that she didn't think you were going to hear? Or more often, how many of you moms have heard something that the kids didn't think that you'd hear, but mom, you hear everything? They're sitting at the table. People are talking indignantly about this woman has done to Jesus as he's sitting there too. They said, why this waste of perfume? That's what they're indignant about. Why this, look at the word, waste of perfume. Verse 5, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Oh, okay. Jar of perfume. This isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't $10 at the dollar store. It isn't $30 at goods. It's not $80 or $100 or $120 at, at, at Boscov's. Okay? This isn't even, even $10,000 at some store that you know about that I've never been to yet. They're saying this could have been sold for more than a year's wages. In today's terms, what is that? That's a $40,000 jar of perfume, $50,000, $60,000. Average wage in the United States this year was $55,000. Average across the United States, $55,000 jar of perfume. These people said indignantly to one another, why this waste? They rebuked her harshly, and it makes sense, doesn't it? If the story would end here, we would get it. We in this room can identify with these indignant statements if we are honest and if we really think about who we are and how most of us think. We are serious about stewardship. We're serious about getting value for our dollars, this congregation in particular. I, uh, I heard a week ago about a fellow, a, a local fellow who had tickets for the Phillies game that got rained out. He had tickets. What, what night was there supposed to be a World Series game? There was supposed to be a World Series game on Monday, right? But it got rainy, 
and so it was moved to Tuesday. Well, this person had, had, had purchased some tickets for Monday, and then the way things went, they couldn't use them, and, and I don't know how much they cost, and as I heard this story, I don't know how much that person paid for tickets, but someone remarked, you know, the cheapest tickets that you could find online were like $650 for like nosebleed seats. Now, again, these are some general numbers, but it was interesting as I sat there, I had a reaction in me, partly because of how I was raised and taught, partly because of how I have decided to look at money now, partly because of the scripture, but partly because at first instinct, I'm often very judgmental about others. I had a reaction in me that said, $650 to go watch a ball game? Really? Pretty judgy. But this is where I went right away. That was my first thought. And not $650 for like, hey, you get a World Series seat right there behind home plate. You might show up on TV 30 times tonight. Not one of those like really cool and I might even catch a foul ball kind of thing. This is like $650 to stand in the back behind some tall guy named Earl, (laughs) right? But I'm thinking about that and then I had to think another moment and and as I was sitting there thinking about this person who I might know who might have spent $650 or more on it and I thought, well, how many times do you get to go to a World Series game in Philadelphia? That'd be really great. And if I had an extra $650, boy, that'd be tempting. Or if I had a little one who just loved the Phillies, like it seemed like this story that I was hearing was, was kind of about, they had a son who was a ball, would I spend $1,300 plus a couple hundred dollars on parking snacks and all that? Would I spend $2,000 to go watch the Phillies in the World Series? Maybe. Boy, game three would have been a good one to see, wouldn't it? Right? But once I thought about it a little bit more, I, I realized oh, I probably need to be careful because not everybody thinks about money the same way I do. Not a... But my instinct is probably to be, to be the kind of person that says, do you need that? That's my instinct. I think there are a lot of you in this same room who, who probably have that instinct first. You're not exactly the same as me. We're not all the same. And certainly in this room of 250 people, we're not all the same. And for those of you watching online, God bless you. I'm glad you're, glad you're listening. You're not the same as all of us. But here's what I know. I know that this group here at Waterway Church is a group that is serious about stewardship. I know uh, I'm going to have to share some results with you another time. But I know in 2012 and again in 2022, 10 years apart, I put out a little economics survey because I was curious and I like to ask questions. In 2012, I received 225 paper response surveys back from nine churches in our area. This year, I just really quickly uh, put out an electronic survey to you all, and I got 83 responses back. Here's what I saw. In both 2022 and in 2012, 84% of the people that I asked responded that they tithe to the church. 84%. So 84% of the people that I asked said, yes, I think it's very important to give money to the church. I learned that in um, in, in 2022, 87% of the people who I surveyed owned the house that they live in. That's up just slightly from 81% who owned their own home in 2012. And that's significantly better than the national average of 65% of people who own the place where they live. I learned that the average house has four people in it. That was the same in 2012 and in 2022, average among us. I learned that the average house that has four people in it has between three and four bedrooms. Not too many people have to share. Not too many bunk beds unless we decide we think that's cool. 
I learned that 34% of you owned land or rental units or vacation homes or cabins in addition to your primary residence. And these are almost exactly the same numbers as 10 years ago. I learned that 84% of us are rich enough to pay for some sort of TV service or streaming service. That's up from 71% in 2012, but my goodness, isn't all of that up since 2012? And I learned that the average household here at Waterway has two and a half licensed drivers. They get to choose between four vehicles at their home. In 2012, the average household had two drivers sharing three vehicles. So in the last 10 years, our average house added a driver and a vehicle. Aren't we blessed? Well, generally speaking, we are, and these numbers show it to me, we are people who are blessed and we are good stewards. You are good stewards. Now, you may not be in the average. You may be struggling. You, you may look at that and say, only four vehicles in their house? What kind of pilgrims are they? How do they get around? Some of you might say, oh, they own their house. I can't wait until I can. We're all different, right? I'm just dealing with some averages here. And on average, we're blessed. We're blessed. A couple of notes to go along with that blessing. We're blessed to live. Let's think about why here. Reuben, I think you did a great job talking about putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Let's remember the shoes that we're in. We are blessed to live where we do with the land and weather and opportunities that we have. For example, this week, we, we wrapped up some numbers on our growing project. Our growing project, this is where uh, we grow corn. The corn was harvested these past two weeks. It was taken to the mill. And we know that on how many acres, Ross Johnson? Oh, Ross is in children's church. There he is. How many acres were there, Ross? There are 24 acres of corn that was planted back in the spring with donated seed on donated land by people donating their time to drive their donated equipment. We know that 24 acres of corn was planted, and we know that now that the numbers have come in, we average 248 bushels of corn per acre. Now, if you are like me, you might say, I don't know what a bushel is. I don't really know what an acre is. Is that good? If you ask one of the farmers in the room, they'll tell you 248 bushels an acre is very good. That's a very good crop. And all things considered about that crop and where it was, really, really, really good crop. But it was interesting to me, this weekend, as, uh, as Ruben mentioned, on Friday and Saturday, I got to be at the AMEC conference. AMEC is the network of churches that we belong to. There was a conference on Friday night and Saturday. It was at Bethany Grace Fellowship in East Earl, about an hour northeast of here. And I got to talk to two fellows who were from Oklahoma. One is a farmer, one is a pastor who pastors a farming church in Hydro, Oklahoma. I don't know what you think of with Oklahoma and the wind blowing through the plains. That's it. As I talked to Steve and Joseph, I, just, I was asking them, hey, what, what do you do? Where are you from? And, and they said, well, you know, it's pretty neat to be here. We see the corn here is so much taller than it was at home. I said, oh, yeah, what's it like at home? They said, oh, it's dry. I said, really? And they said, yeah, we had, we had a stretch of 90 days in a row this summer that we didn't have any rain. They said, this is one of the dry, they said, it's often dry where we are, but this is one of the driest places that we have. If people have a crop, they have it because they have a pivot uh, irrigation system on their farm. We have 248 bushels to the acre. That's because there's some people who really know what they're doing, doing some good farming. But let's be honest, it's also because we live in a place where we got plenty of rain, and the sun was good, and the ground produced a crop for us when it was sown. We are blessed. We're blessed to live where we do with the land and weather and opportunities that we have, and many of you who are doing well are blessed because somebody helped you get started there, right? We're blessed. We're also blessed because many of us were taught young how to budget and save and not waste money. We go to BB's, right? <laughs> Can BB's exist anywhere else in America? 
as a kid, as a kid, when I was little, BBs was more bent and bumped than it seems to be now, right? I remember going through and thinking how amazing it was to get a can of dented generic soda for a nickel. <laughs> there are a lot of places in the world where, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not, that, that might be, that might, you know, that cereal might have gone bad last week. Nope, not us. You see that parking lot out there? How many, that parking lot of BBs here in Oxford, the store's only been there for a couple years. It is packed because we live in an area where people like us say, hey, I can, I can save some money here. And people are making decisions about what things cost, what they're getting. Many of us were taught young how to budget and save and not waste money. We say, yeah, I can buy, I can buy a box of coffee that's, that's going to expire or might be expired a couple weeks ago. I can buy a box of coffee for three bucks that I have to buy for 10 bucks at the store because honestly, can I tell the difference between coffee that expired in September 2022 versus coffee that's going to expire in March of 2023? Nope, six bucks, there we go. That's what I was taught. I know a lot of you were taught the same thing. If you're not, that's okay, right? It's okay to be different on these things. I'm just telling you how many of us tend to think here. And many of us are quite selective about the luxuries we decide to buy. Oh, we all buy luxuries. Yes, we do. Don't you tell me if you sit in this room that there's nothing you have that you don't need. We all buy luxuries. We just, we purchase them differently. We buy them with different values. We still all buy things we don't totally need, or maybe we buy a particular premium brand when we could slide by with less. But most people in this room don't spend their money or buy luxuries haphazardly. People think through which premium brands bring quality and longevity rather than just chasing labels. In general, that's what I see and that's what I know about you here. We don't waste our time, we don't waste our money, and we can understand being indignant when you see these people looking at Mary and saying, Mary, you could have sold that perfume for a year's wages and do you know what you could have done with the poor? There's a part of me that my instinct would have been the same. I, had I lived 2,000 years ago and had Jesus called me to be one of his disciples, I very well could have been one of those indignant fellows. Now, the book of John tells us that Judas was kind of the one who stirred that pot. Now, every conversation takes two people. But here's this conversation, and we get it. How many of us, if we're honest, how many of us in this room, we get it when we see that some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. I am aware of the time. I'm going to move here quickly, but I think there's something we need to remember, church. We need to remember that this is not the end of the passage. I just about gave my preaching professor a heart attack when I did my final preaching lesson in 2003. I was assigned this passage to preach, and I gave the impression that I thought this was all there was. I kept them on the edge of their seat, and maybe some of you are excited, maybe you're annoyed, but there is a rest of the story. This is what it is. This is the rest of the story, right? There's things I could tell you about, about Judas. Read John chapter 12, verse 4, 5, and 6. Read that today, John 12. You'll love it. We don't condone thievery, but we get what that thief was saying. Jesus said, leave her alone. This is verse 6 in, Matthew four, or in Mark 14. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. This year's worth of perfume. He says, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. Notice that Jesus didn't say, don't help the poor. They'll be fine. Jesus didn't say, don't help the poor. It's probably their fault anyway. Jesus didn't say, don't help the poor. You earned it. You keep it. What did Jesus say? You will always have the poor with you, and you can help them anytime you want. 
But here's what he said. You will not always have me. Now we can have him in our hearts, right? And, and we can enjoy the results of what Jesus has done. But what he was saying is, I will not always physically be sitting right here at the table with you because he knows he's going to die. He told them in Mark 8 and 9 and 10, three times, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die. They didn't get it. The disciples couldn't understand it. And here at the, even the supper table, a couple days away, this death is coming and they still don't get it. But what does he say? He says, she has done a beautiful thing. Verse eight, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world and what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, there's always more to the story. Jesus says, this is good. This thing that everybody was so indignant about, rolling their eyes about, clucking about. He says, this is good. It's so good, it's going to be famous. She, Mary, listened to and processed what Jesus had said about himself leading up to this. She heard what the disciples were talking about. She heard what Jesus was talking about. She was an inner circle important person. She knew what Mark recorded in Mark 8 and 9 and 10, that Jesus was going to be arrested and killed. She understood what was going to happen, and she acted on it. The people who had seen the most, though, his 12 disciples and even the three who were very close to him, they didn't get it. Those who, under, those who had seen the most seemed to understand the least. Maybe they were distracted by money. Can you imagine a year's worth of wages spent on perfume? Maybe they were distracted by their assumptions about what the Messiah ought to be. Maybe they were so sick of things in their bad world that they were just looking forward to Jesus being this saving hero that was going to come and finally wipe out the Romans and bring Israel to the front. Maybe they were so hungry for social justice and political justice they couldn't believe that their Savior would die. Maybe they were so excited about a returning king setting things right right now that they couldn't imagine that he'd need to be anointed for his death and burial. These who should have known the most, they missed what Jesus was really doing, but not Mary. She did what she could. I don't know. I don't know what kind of job she had or resources or inheritance might have come her way to be able to have that kind of a jar of perfume, but she did. And she gave it all to Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, oh, sister, you're so misguided. No, he, he was, oh, no, not for me. You give that to somebody. He said, no, I am the Lord. I will receive your praise. And you'll be blessed because of this. That is a challenge for you and for me. And that is going to challenge you differently than it might challenge you, differently than it might challenge you, and differently than it might challenge you. And all of you might be challenged in a different way than me. Here's the question that we all have to consider. What are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing? You've got all these resources. Even if right now sitting here you think you're poor, even if right now sitting here you feel like you've come in below average in all the metrices that I've talked about, even if you might look at my survey and say, well, it's not reliable and it's not valid in the numbers. If you're a statistician, you want to geek out, come talk to me after the service. I don't know what you are thinking about right now. Here's the question I'm going to ask you to think about. What can you do for Jesus? She did what she could. With what she knew about him, she gave all that she had in her hands at that moment. She gave that whole bottle. Maybe you don't have properties. Maybe you don't own three vehicles for four drivers. Maybe you've got bunk beds in every bedroom and kids spilling out everywhere. Maybe you don't even own that house. Maybe you know that if you had lived back then, there was no way that you would ever have even close to a year's wages worth of perfume. Let's get past the money. What can you do to honor Jesus? You sang here this morning. Good. Keep doing it. 
You gave your time here this morning to be here. Good. Keep doing that. I think this is worthwhile for us to be together and worship and praise and hear each other's stories to study the Bible. What can you do to serve Jesus? Reuben, you talked about us being busy. We are. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because some of you are going to get proud. There is another thing along with this stewardship of money and some of us who maybe are too closed with our hands. We are often, we are often just as demanding of ourselves with our time, not that we spend it for Jesus, but that we spend it getting things done. And that can make us too busy as well. And we can fall in it. What can you do for Jesus? I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm asking you to ask yourself if you are doing for Jesus what you can. Or are you just doing the things for yourself? Are you just spending and making excuses to put it somewhere else? The money, the time, the energy, the attention. Is there anything that Jesus ought to have that you're giving somewhere else? Maybe you've even made excuses and say, well, look, isn't this good? I'm giving it to the poor. And yet I, I, just, I am convicted by what Jesus said to this group of indignant dinner guests. He said, you'll always have the poor. Help them. But he said, honor me. Do everything you can to honor me. Church, is that what we're doing? I hope so. I look at so many of you and I think, yeah, I feel like you're on that track. I look at my life, I think I'm on that track. But are there things I need to change? Yeah, there probably are. How about you? What are you doing with Jesus? Oh, we could keep going, but I'm going to stop. Can you pray with me? Worship team, would you come forward and get ready to lead us in this closing song? Lord Jesus, we do, we honor you. Church, can you say amen? Lord, we honor you and we praise you. Church, can you say, Jesus, we praise you? Lord, we are here now, and, and some of us don't even know why or how we're here now, but we are here right now. And so we are, we are endeavoring, we're trying to be in line with you. We're, we're trying to offer you what we ought to offer. We're trying to respond to you in love, not just out of duty. Lord Jesus, we're trying all of this. Holy Spirit, would you please come and fill us so that this can work out the way it needs to be? Lord, help us not to fall into the trap of thinking that we all have to look the same or spend our money the same or use our resources the same. But Lord, help us to remember that we ought to be giving you all that we've got because we're yours. Lord, help us to remember that no matter how we are blessed, that we're called to serve you, we're called to look out for each other. Lord, help us to remember that you are you are a God of riches, and, and you can replace everything that we might have given away that we would end up needing later. Lord, help us to remember that if we're rich and we've got friends who are not so rich, it's our job to be open-handed to them. And Lord, help us remember that if we're poor, help us to remember that we can trust you to, to work miraculously or through our friends to see that we have all we need. Lord, I simply right now, Lord, I ask for your help. And Lord, together we ask for your help. Speak to us and show us how we can give you all that we can. Show us what that means in each of our lives. Help us not to make excuses. And Lord, help us not to be too busy. But help us to give you all that we can. Lord, we need you to stir in our minds right now to apply this well to our lives. But Lord, let the conviction be deep. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Church, will you stand and sing with us as we sing this closing song, worshiping Jesus, talking about who he is, and, and this should remind us of why he is deserving of all that we've got.